There comes a point when the right to vote requires a fight to vote. MSNBC Films presents Battleground Georgia, a story that explores the ugly history of voter suppression and how Georgia is leading the charge against it. Something has to change. The old South is being replaced by the new South. Battleground Georgia, part of the Turning Point documentary series from executive producer Trevor Noah. Sunday, May 19th at 9 p.m. Eastern on MSNBC. Tonight on The Readout. Are you really trying to diminish the significance of what happened here and the secret meeting that the president's set, son set up in Trump Tower to receive that incriminating information? Are you trying to diminish the significance of that, Mr. Turner? I'm not trying to diminish it at all, but I think the more complete story is that they met and it was a ruse and they didn't talk about Mrs. Clinton. Uh, and, and you think it's insignificant that he had a secret meeting with the Russian delegation for the purpose of getting dirt on Hillary Clinton and the only disappointment to express that meeting was that the dirt they got wasn't better. You don't think that's significant? I don't think that that was a well-advised thing to do. John Durham, whose four-year investigation of MAGA fever dreams amounted to nothing, is grilled on Capitol Hill. His failure, just a bump in the road for Republicans bent on weaponizing and politicizing the DOJ. Also tonight, the confessions of Donald Trump now a federal as well as a state criminal defendant he continues to openly incriminate himself seemingly oblivious to the fact that prosecutors can and will use his words against him and speaking of defending the indefensible justice samuel alito says the pricey private airline seat given to him by the billionaire who later had business before the court would have gone unused anyway if he hadn't parked his supreme behind in it Plus, an update on that missing Titanic submersible, which experts believe is rapidly running out of air. But we begin tonight with the brand new episode of Law and Order Presidential Edition. In the criminal justice system, all defendants are innocent until proven guilty, either by confession, plea bargain, or trial by jury. This is one of those trials. And yes, in our system, Donald Trump is innocent until proven guilty. And indeed, he has a constitutional right to remain silent. But for some reason, Trump refuses to remain silent. Instead, he literally keeps confessing to the crime of unlawfully retaining U.S. defense secrets and refusing to give them back. And he's making these confessions on the stump, on national TV, over and over and over and over again. He made his latest confession on Monday to Fox's Brett Baer. They did ask for it. No. And they said, can you give the documents back? And we were talking. And then they said they went to DOJ to subpoena you to get them back. Which they've never done before. Right. And why not just hand them over then? Because I had boxes. I want to go through the boxes and get all my personal things out. I don't want to hand that over to Nara yet. And I was very busy, as you've sort of seen. Yeah, but according to the indictment, you then tell this aide to move to other locations after telling your lawyers to say you'd fully complied with the subpoena when you hadn't. But before I send boxes over, I have to take all of my things out. These boxes were interspersed with all sorts of things, Uh, golf shirts, clothing, pants, shoes. There were many things. So what you're saying, man, is that um, you obstructed the FBI in the National Archives because you're basically a hoarder 
and therefore you commingled classified documents containing our national defense and nuclear secrets with your, your shoes, golf clubs, and a bunch of magazine clippings and stuff? Uh, what? Look, look, look. We all know by now that Trump supporters do not care that Trump openly admitted to breaking the law. We get it. Trump good, Biden bad. It's actually easier for them to believe that Brett Baer was colluding with the Department of Justice to entrap poor Mr. Trump into telling the truth. Well, for most of the folks living in the real world, however, Monday night's admission was not some innocuous thing. In fact, most normal people who heard heard his comments recognized them as highly incriminating. This latest on-air confessional also had the amazing effect of bringing conservative, moderate, and liberal minds together to all agree that Trump's legal strategy is horse poop and gogglygook. His answers on the matters of the law seem to me to be to verge on incoherent. He seemed to believe that the documents were his, that he had declassified them, evidence to the contrary, and 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 therefore he, you know, he he could do whatever he wanted with them, which I don't think is going to hold up in court. <laughs> well, while Trump was ignoring his Miranda rights, his former attorney general and DOJ fixer William Barr was giving America a preview of the prosecution's takedown of Trump's case. In an opinion piece, the man who desperately wants to rewrite his reputation from Trump's paid goon at DOJ to someone who actually recognizes reality, writes, Trump is a deeply flawed, incorrigible man who frequently brings calamity on himself and the country through his dishonesty and self-destructive recklessness. His handling of these documents in bathrooms and ballrooms at Mar-a-Lago was lawless and exposed the country to intolerable risk. The government had every right, indeed had no choice, but to retrieve this material. And finally, Barr drives a stake into the Republican argument that is a that it is a double standard writing. If Trump engaged in the kind of brazen criminal conduct alleged, then applying the law in his case is not unfair to him. The injustice lies in not having applied it seven years ago. Oh, here we go to Hillary. You don't rectify that that omission by giving future violators a free pass. Yeah. okay, Barr. First of all, he forgot to add. And I'm still going to vote for him if he's runs for president again. Yeah, look, we still remember how you lied about the Mueller report and how you used the DOJ to go after Trump's perceived enemies. But, you know, good talk. And unlike most people, Trump doesn't have the capacity to look at himself in the mirror and think, hey, it's me. I'm the problem. (laughs) And like any good episode of Law & Order, cornered suspects often turn on each other. Two sources tell Rolling Stone that in recent weeks, several lawyers and confidants had already discussed their unconfirmed suspicions with Trump that Meadows, Mark Meadows, his former chief of staff, is being very useful to the feds in order to reduce Meadows' own possible legal exposure. Two other people familiar with the matter say... One source said, told Rolling Stone that some of Trump's longtime allies and close advisors have taken to sardonically referring to Meadows by using the rat emoji in their private conversations. Meow. (laughs) We reached out to Mark Meadows through his lawyer, but they were not offering comment on the report. Surprise, surprise. Joining me now are two former federal prosecutors, Renato Mariotti, legal affairs columnist for Political Magazine, and Glenn Kirshner, MSNBC legal analyst. Uh, Glenn, I'm going to go to you first. Notwithstanding Barr's attempt to also indict Hillary Clinton, who was already cleared by the DOJ, uh, what do you make <laughs> of his argument that, yeah, Donald Trump did it, he said he did it, he said he wasn't going to give the documents back, and he's in trouble? 
Yeah, I, I'm, I am loath to agree with Bill Barr, but he's right. And, you know, I'm going to say something, Joy, that I'm not sure anybody has ever said before. Sometimes the federal rules of evidence can be a beautiful thing because what Donald Trump is saying may be admissible in the court of public opinion. But here's the beauty of the rules of evidence. Those statements that he's making, you know, in to faux news networks and he's posting on his third rate social media platform. Anything that incriminates him is admissible evidence if the prosecutors try to introduce it at trial. But everything that he says that exonerates him, things like I declassified them with my mind, the Presidential <laughs> Records Act lets me take everything, et cetera, et cetera. None of that is admissible by Donald Trump's attorneys. So the prosecutors can put in all the good incriminating stuff, but Donald Trump's attorneys can put none of his BS before the jury. The only way that jury will get to hear what Donald Trump was thinking about declassifying documents or whether the Presidential Records Act let him take documents is if Donald Trump takes the stand at trial and testifies. And we all know how that would end for Donald Trump. <laughs> Yeah, it would end like it did with E. Jean Carroll. I mean, I mean, Renato Mariani, when he takes a stand, he just does the same thing. He just incriminates himself. He can't help himself. He has like all id and no, no ego or whatever it is. Let me just play him doing it again. This is Donald Trump. This is how many times he has said, I did it. I did it. If he did a book like OJ did, his book wouldn't be called If I Did It. It would just be called I Did It. Here he is. I've known you for decades. I can't, I can't imagine you ever saying, um, bring me some of the boxes that we brought back from the White House. I'd like to look at them. Did you ever do that? I would have the right to do that. There's nothing wrong with it. When it comes to your documents, did you ever show those classified documents to anyone? Not really. I would have the right to. I had every right to have these documents. I hadn't had a chance to go through all the boxes. It's a long, tedious job. It takes a long time which I was prepared to do, but I have a very busy life. Uh, Renato, Donald Trump does have attorneys now um, who have signed a, a form saying an attestation saying they will represent him and that legal fees won't be a bar to that and that they'll stay through appeals. Um, and one of them's already gotten $3 million, so he's already been paid. So check mark on that. Good for him. But would they even be able to legally go in and attempt to make the arguments you just heard in front of a court of law? I mean, wouldn't they risk disbarment if they tried to do as their client is probably going to want them to do and to say that gobbledygook in front of a judge. It's not even a defense. That's the problem, Joy. It's actually <laughs> an admission of guilt. So they're not going to say that. And I think that I agree with Glenn's analysis of the federal rules of evidence. Uh, I think the real problem is somebody who's not only been a federal prosecutor, but has tried cases as a criminal defense attorney, uh, is that it locks you into a story. I mean, Usually the defense wants to see all the evidence and come up with the best story they can to say on the stand. Now, if Donald Trump did want to take the stand to give it a half-hearted attempt, he couldn't do it. He couldn't change his story. Essentially, instead of these $3 million lawyers coming up with the perfect story, you get some guy who has trouble, you know, stringing some words together, coming up with the story on the fly, however it occurs to him on TV news. You know, Glenn, I think the conventional wisdom is that despite the fact that he keeps admitting that he committed a federal crime that you can get like 240 years in prison for, he's like got 31 counts, that, that this indictment like actually helps Trump because he's running for president and it makes him more popular with his base. I actually agree that it does. And his base loves this stuff and they love that they think he can get away with crimes and shoot someone on Fifth Avenue, et cetera. But I mean, isn't the fact that he's going to be campaigning all through next year 
Doesn't that actually compound his lawyer's challenge? Because he will get to talk almost every day. He'll be talking more on Fox. He'll be talking on Newsmax and OANN. Again, he's unfiltered. So every time he actually makes a speech, right, can prosecutors say we're going to add that and add that and add that and add that to our evidence? Yeah, absolutely. And the problem is there is no unified defense that the defense attorneys are going to be able to present because no matter what theory they go with, believe me, prosecutors will find a statement made by Trump that contradicts that theory. So what you're going to see is what we often see when the evidence is really strong. You're going to see a reasonable doubt defense. They're going to just throw a whole bunch of stuff out there. They're going to look for the low-hanging fruit in the jury box. Maybe one or two people they believe they can dupe or deceive into finding reasonable doubt somewhere. And the other thing I predict, Joy, and I think you know Donald Trump will be pushing his defense team to do this, it's going to be attack, attack, attack the prosecutors, the FBI, the Democrats, attack, 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 and distract from the fact that the evidence of guilt is overwhelming. I don't think they're going to succeed at the end of the day. I think the tough part was getting this case indicted. But I've said once indicted, the case is going to try itself. Let, let, let's do a turn because I, I, I got to play this. This is so he did more than just incriminate himself in his uh, interview with Brett Baer. He, he also might have called into question whether he was actually there during the four years that he was president, like whether he was literally on the golf course the whole time, because I don't think he knows his own policies. Here he is attempting to explain his death penalty policy in a you have to hear it to believe it moment. Here he is. I focused on nonviolent crime. As an example, a woman who you know very well was in jail. She had 24 more years to serve. She served for 22 years. She had 20 Alice Johnson. Alice. She was in the Super Bowl. High quality. Oh, yeah. I said, how many years? And she was on a telephone call, and they were involved in selling marijuana, mostly marijuana. And she got like 50 years in jail. But she'd be killed under your plan. Huh? As a drug dealer. No, no, no. Under my, oh, under that? Uh, it would depend on the severity. It but would depend on the severity. She's technically a former drug dealer. She, the, she had multi-million dollar cocaine ring. Any said, drug dealer. Look. So even it, Alice Johnson in that ad. She can't do it, okay? By the way, if that was there, no, she wouldn't be killed. It would start as of now, so you wouldn't go to the no, past. No, but your policy. No, 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 starting now, yeah. But she wouldn't have done it if it was death penalty. In other words, if it was death penalty, she wouldn't have been on that phone call. She wouldn't have been a dealer. A high quality. We wouldn't kill her. I mean, would we kill her? I'm not sure. I mean, it's high quality. Uh, <laughs> Renato, um, and they questioned whether Biden has got all his whole full lunch in his lunch pail. Anywho, they said it's Biden's the one that's got uh, a mental uh, uh, acuity issues. Do you understand what he said, <laughs> Renato? <laughs> uh, not completely, but I have to say, Joy, you know, on one level, it's funny, but on another level, it's not, because there are a lot of people in this country who are in prison. Because we politicize the criminal justice system in this way. I mean, the way that his view is of how we should handle the criminal justice system is death penalty to anyone yes. who deals any kind of illegal drug. That's absurd. And it, it's yeah. just going to essentially make it where we have to spend all of our GDP constructing prisons and we take people out of neighborhoods and we have people without parents. It's insane. 
Yeah. And Glenn Kirshner, one more for you, because uh, John Eastman, who architected Donald Trump's attempted coup on this country, he's now facing disbarment in California. Um, He was questioned today about why he presented so many lies in order to try to keep Trump in office. What do you make of this attempt to um, I mean, do you think he has any shot at holding on to his license in California? I mean, he tried this 20 years ago. He had floated this theory with George W. Bush, finally got a guy not bright enough and that was willing to try it. What do you think are his prospects for remaining a lawyer? Yeah, he has zero shot at not being sanctioned and probably being disbarred. We can't forget that there was a federal judge in California, David Carter, who found by a preponderance of the evidence, 51 percent more likely than not, that John Eastman and Donald Trump committed two federal felonies together. Frankly, for bar counsel's purposes, that's all she wrote. I mean, there's no way John Eastman is going to be able to sort of wiggle out of this. We have all been waiting for a very long time for an indictment that would include John Eastman, because usually, Mm. Joy, the federal judiciary, the judges don't get out in front of the prosecutors and announce that a guy like John Eastman committed federal felonies. We usually hear that first when somebody is arrested or they're indicted. Yeah, I, I, on this one, I'm two words, Fonnie Willis. That's what I'm waiting for with Eastman. We will see what happens, though. Uh, Renato Mariotti and Glenn Kirshner, thank you both for being here. Up next on The Readout, new revelations about the ethically challenged conservatives on the Supreme Court with more reports of expensive trips paid for by billionaires with business before the court. The Readout continues after this. Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood, which means affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control our bodies and get the health care we need has been stolen from us. And now, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctor. Planned Parenthood needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, we can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future. As soon as tomorrow, the Supreme Court's right-wing majority could put an end to affirmative action, the precedent that allows colleges to consider a student's race in admissions. But they have zero intention of giving up the affirmative action that benefits them, you know, the conservative Supreme Court justice affirmative action, where they get the hookup with extravagant freebies like luxury luxury gifts and travel from right-wing billionaires and don't bother to disclose it to the peons they make the rules for about your silly little body that you think is your own. Ha! And a new investigation from ProPublica details how in 2008, Justice Samuel Alito popped up to Alaska for a lavish fishing trip with conservative hedge fund billionaire Paul Singer. Alito rode to Alaska on Singer's private jet, which was not included in Alito's financial disclosure form as required by law. Right-wing dark money king Leonard Leo of the Federalist Society organized the trip and invited Alito to come with. In the years that followed, cases involving Paul Singer's hedge fund came before the court at least 10 times. And Alito never recused himself. 
including one case in 2014 involving a battle between Singer's Hedge Fund and the nation of Argentina. Alito voted with the 7-1 majority in favor of Singer's Hedge Fund, which walked away with a cool $2.4 billion payout. The new report only adds to a pattern of ethically questionable dealings by the court's conservative justices. There's, of course, Clarence Thomas, who ProPublica exposed for accepting and failing to disclose luxury trips, school tuition payments, and real estate deals, including the sale of his own mother's home, to conservative billionaire Harlan Crow. And Justice Neil Gorsuch told, sold property to the head of a law firm with business before the court back in 2017 and didn't disclose the buyer's identity. When ProPublica reached out to Alito for comment, he declined. Instead, he sent his response to the Rupert Murdoch-owned Wall Street Journal, which in a journalistically confounding move, ran his angry response as a prebuttal op-ed the day before the ProPublica report was even published. In it, Alito claimed that he wasn't aware that Paul Singer was connected to the cases when they went before the court, despite the cases being heavily covered in the media at the time. And saying they spoke on no more than a handful of occasions and never talked about any case or issue before the court. Comments which I suppose were meant to take at his word, right? Alito defended his failure to disclose the private jet travel, saying, quote, I followed what I understood to be standard practice and justified accepting the invitation because the seat would have otherwise been vacant, which I'm sure are the thoughts of many an airline passenger spotting an empty first class seat, though no flight attendant would accept that argument. Joining me now is Senator Cory Booker of New Jersey, a member of the Senate Judiciary Committee. And Senator, um, I just want to read just a little bit of this report, because Alito claims in his pre-buttal that he never heard about these cases. He didn't know that this guy was on um, a part of them. This is about the fight between Singer and Argentina. The fight played out on familiar turf for Singer, the U.S. courts. He launched an aggressive legal campaign to force Argentina to pay in full debts that they had backed. And his personal involvement in the case attracted widespread media attention. In 2007, for the first but not the last time, Singer's Fund asked the Supreme Court to intervene. That October, the court declined to take the case. July 8th, the following year, Singer took Alito to Alaska on the private jet. Fast forward to 2014, the Supreme Court finally agrees to hear the case on the matter. The case featured an unusual intervention by the Judicial Crisis Network, a group affiliated with Leonard Leo, and boom, 7-1 ruling in favor of Singer's side. This lack of ethics by these conservative justices at this point is almost comical, Senator. Is there anything planned to be done about it? Well, first of all, let me just say that this uh, pre-buttle that he put out there, I, I was actually stunned at the reasoning. It's almost as if a culture is being built up in which there's just no perspective anymore uh, in regards to these kind of lavish gifts. But the one thing I want to caution all of us is to allow this to fall into a partisan lens. This is a crisis of the court period. Uh, I'm, I'm uh, as appalled as many Americans, in fact, I would say most Americans by uh, the reversal and of rights of things like the Dobbs decision uh, that the majority of Americans thinks Roe v. Wade should be the law of the land. But I, I, I want to just say that this is a deeper fundamental assault on democracy when you see a, the highest court in the land having the lowest ethical uh, uh, bounds. In fact, every court in our land 
has ethical legislation or ethical, written ethical laws that bind it, but the highest court right now does not. It's a court that necessitates legitimacy uh, and the trust and the faith of people. And these stories coming out, whether they are conservative justice or a, a, a progressive justice, they all undermine this critical institution to our democracy. And so, yes, there are things that Congress must do. But when we had a hearing about this in the Judiciary Committee, it fell along partisan arguments. And even then I was stunned that folks could not see on the other side of the aisle that this is not about a conservative justice justice or a progressive justice. This is about the American justice system. And so we are pushing legislation. We're going to mark it up in, uh, uh, in, in the Judiciary Committee that's going to put forth these uh, ethic laws, ethics laws that are common sense, that help to avoid what every lawyer knows, appearances of impropriety, help to restore some legitimacy and make sure that the highest court in the land actually has high ethical standards. But, but, but Senator, isn't it, isn't it an issue of the, of the, ideolo- the ideologues on the court? Because I just want to be clear. There are two justices on that court who have passed credible allegations of sexual impropriety toward women, both of whom are ruling that women cannot and do not have the right to to control their own bodies. I've never heard of Kagan, Sotomayor, or Jackson taking lavish trips uh, on the dime of billionaires who then come before the court and weirdly always seem to get their way. The conservative justices seem to have a very consistent pattern of ruling in a very politicized way to get outcomes that just happen to align with people like Leonard Leo. I just want to give you the timeline here. This is this gentleman singer. He asks the SCOTUS to intervene in Argentina litigation. It declines in May 2007. 08, he takes Alito on the private jet. 09, Singer introduces Alito at a Federalist Society dinner. That same year, Argentina case spurs eight more SCOTUS appeals. 2010, Singer introduces Alito at a Manhattan dinner. 2014, he gets his way. I'm going to read one more piece of this article. Rob Arkley, who's a gentleman that owns the resort that they claim is, oh, it's not so ritzy, thousand a night, bragged to his friends that he'd gotten to know one third of the sitting Supreme Court justices. He told friends he had a relationship with Clarence Thomas, according to two people who were close with Arkley. In June 05, Arkley flew the late Justice Scalia on his private jet to Kodiak Island, Alaska. Two of Arkley's former pilots told ProPublica. It is Scalia who seems to have pioneered this behavior. It's Thomas who's continuing to do it. It's now Alito, the most angry partisan uh, justice on the court who gets bridles at any, um, you know, one who criticizes him. They're the ones doing this and they're all Leonard Leo's people. I cannot see that as a both sides issue. Uh, oh, it is definitely not a both sides issue. And that's not what I'm saying. And the, the fact pattern you just laid out is only the tip of the iceberg. What Leonard Leo and these extraordinarily funded uh, right wing organizations are doing to try to capture the court, uh, influencing the process, a process which Donald Trump submitted to uh, is extraordinary. And there are so many more facts that should cause us all concern. The point that I am trying to make is that every branch of the American government should have ethics legislation. When we saw scandals in the Article I branch of government, we know there have been corrupt practices by people on both sides. The key here is to remember, when you are fighting this battle, yes, call out the fact patterns like you are. But the cure to this is not something that's going one way or the other. The cure to this is that our courts should have 
ethics. You should not be able to jump on the private jet of someone who has matters before the court. That is objectively, without ideology, wrong. It is an affront to the ideals of America. And for anyone to rush forward and try to justify that has lost perspective and does not understand the urgency of this moment. Democratic institutions are being attacked. And whether it is right-wing protesters who stormed the Capitol or Supreme Court justices who are violating common sense ethics, there should be consequences for that. And the consequences in this case is to fix our Supreme Court. It is losing its legitimacy. It is its lowest level of approval in my lifetime. And this is an American crisis. And so the solution to that is for this body, the Article I branch of government, Congress, to do what our founders wanted us to do. No branch is without checks and balances. The Supreme Court needs to be checked right now, and we should be imposing upon them. We should be imposing upon them ethical bounds so that future billionaires, be they Republican or Democrat, future billionaires do not think that there's a well-oiled pathway to trying to influence this court, that the court and its justices are above this kind of corruption because they have accountable ethics rules that will make sure, should they step over a line, like the lines that we have cited already in this conversation, that there is consequences for that. Well, I think we can agree that they have lost legitimacy. I think on that we 100% agree. Uh, Senator Cory Booker, you're very kind to be here. Thank you Joy, very one much. one thing I have to say before we go, your sure. Instagram feed, your Instagram feed is phenomenal. And I hope more people follow you. I just want to thank you. Some of your posts, they give me affirmation. Uh, they give me joy. Uh, and I'll always, as you do on the show, give good information. I, I, I will take that endorsement on my, on my IG feed from you, Senator Booger. I follow you as well. Thank you very much. And I'm at Joanne Reed on Instagram for those of you who are not following me. Yes. Yet. Follow <laughs> thank her. you very much. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Senator. Much appreciated. And coming up, House Republicans, thank you. House Republicans Revenge and Retribution Tour kicks into high gear with more pointless political theater on Capitol Hill and a full-scale freakout over Hunter Biden. We'll be right back. On the MSNBC podcast, How to Win 2024, political experts, former Senator Claire McCaskill and Democratic strategist Jennifer Palmieri examine the campaign strategies unfolding in this all-important election. The focus is on the voters that are not necessarily in your corner now. If Democrats are going to win in 2024, we have to be able to explain what is happening at the border and what the solutions are. Search for How to Win 2024 wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes every Thursday. Hi, I'm Jonathan Capehart, and I'm excited to share some great news. Both The Saturday Show and The Sunday Show are available as a podcast. Every weekend, I look forward to bringing you the most important political news and the newsmakers who are creating policies that affect your life. For me, it's all about the conversation. That's when news is revealed and understanding begins. Search for Saturdays and Sundays with Jonathan Capehart and follow. After years of screaming about how unfair it is that the Justice Department hasn't charged Hunter Biden with something, anything, Republicans are now furiously complaining that the charges that he is now facing are not good enough. On Capitol Hill, lawmakers are comparing the president's son's plea deal on two misdemeanor tax counts and lying about his drug use while applying to purchase a handgun to Donald Trump's 37-count indictment for refusing to give back classified documents on the country's nuclear secrets that were strewn about throughout his Florida resort for more than a year. 
House Speaker Kevin McCarthy told it a two-tier justice system, while his supervisor, Marjorie Taylor Greene, called the Justice Department pathetic and weaponized. What they failed to mention is that the prosecutor in the Hunter Biden case is, in fact, a Trump appointee. But even as Republicans claim to be so concerned about the government being weaponized, real threats of weaponization are happening right before their very eyes at the behest of their party's dear leader. As Donald Trump is blatantly saying that if elected president again, he will have the DOJ go after the Biden family. And because Trump says it's okay, most of the other Republican presidential candidates seem to be totally fine with it, too, or just too scared of him to admit they're not. The New York Times reports after Trump's vow to direct the Justice Department to appoint a so-called real prosecutor to investigate the Bidens, the Times asked each of his Republican rivals questions aimed at laying out what limits, if any, they believe presidents must or should respect when it comes to White House interference with federal law enforcement decisions. And their responses reveal a party that has turned so hard against federal law enforcement that it's no longer widely considered good politics to just simply answer in the negative a question that was once uncontroversial. Namely, do you believe presidents should get involved in the investigations and prosecutions of individuals? Joining me now is Tara Setmeyer, senior advisor at the Lincoln Project and a former Republican Party communications director. Uh, Tara, I mean, uh, only Asa Hutchinson and Chris Christie would say, no, nah, we shouldn't make the DOJ into like, you know, the president's poodle. How are they going to handle that if it's a Democrat? Is it the Democrat's poodle too? Yeah, the hypocrisy on this, Joy, is really just hard to take. You know, all those years during my my uh, run in the Republican Party, law and order and respect for the Constitution, separation of powers, independence of the Justice Department from the White House, all of those political norms were things that were uh, unwavering principles in the party. And to watch them just bend over backwards and completely destroy them, it's infuriating because the consequences of that means that it's desensitizing the American people to uh, what these democratic norms should be, the respect for law and order, the respect for the rule of law. If you don't have that, you have anarchy, you have chaos, and then you have authoritarianism. That's what opens the door to allow for a strong man like Donald Trump to come in and just normalize very undemocratic actions. And that's what they're doing. I mean, this uh, this whole two-tier justice nonsense that they got together in focus group, because if you look, you hear it everywhere, right? It's everywhere yeah. from Elise Stefanik to Fox News to the, the Twitter trolls, two-tiered system of justice. What a bunch of BS. They know good and hell damn well that there is a two-tiered system of justice and it has nothing to do with Donald Trump. Obviously, yeah. that's why they want to ban books, because they don't want people to know the history of the two-tiered justice system in this country that stems back a, a decades and decades. And uh, did they ever hear of the civil rights era? That's a lot what a lot of that was fought for. So, you know, they need to yeah. stop this. They keep trying to use terminology that is projection of what they're actually what they're actually doing. It's nonsense. And a lot of it is sort of like this weird kind of anger that because on their side, there are people who commit crimes. Well, then the other side, you have to prosecute them, whether they've committed crimes, this equivalent crimes as, as well. I mean, Hunter Biden is their favorite punching bag because his last name is Biden. You know, people who have analyzed this have said that if he was named, you know, Joe Schlobotnik, he probably wouldn't have been prosecuted. He paid back the taxes. He filled out a gun application. They're supposed to want people to have lots of guns. He didn't admit that he had drug use. They did a plea deal. That's what they do. And that had he not been a Biden, this DOJ that's a little spooked by the idea of investigating Trump for real crimes wouldn't have prosecuted him. What do you make of their obsession with this guy? He's sort of a sad story, but give me a break. He didn't take classified documents. That's true. I mean, uh, it's because they don't have anything else. 
they are looking at someone who is the titular head of their party, who has overwhelming support by their base, who has been criming his entire life. And now that level of criming <laughs> is actually at like national security, international level espionage act real indictment type crimes. And they don't want you to pay attention to that. Pay no attention to the man crying behind our curtain. Let's talk about, let's go after Joe Biden's tragic son who's had troubles his whole life, which a lot of families have had, people in their family who have struggled with drugs and haven't gotten it together. And let's go after him on, on things that are you know, like you said, may or may not have have been uh, consequential if he wasn't the son of a president. I mean, it's it's pathetic, really. But unfortunately, they have a very strong messaging machine that is unified, that they've created this this mythology around Hunter Biden that they are. That's what they're holding on to, because they don't want people to concentrate on what Donald Trump is actually doing. And the fact that they're running around being a bunch of hypocrites trying to support Donald Trump and excusing his behavior. Meanwhile, they, they're talking about January 6th insurrectionists are, are patriots and they should pardon them. And, you know, I mean, it, we're in the upside down world here with this, but it's all a bait and switch to project and deflect from what Donald Trump is doing and acknowledging the fact that not only is he a criminal, he's a national security risk. It's odd because they, they love the fact that Donald Trump doesn't pay taxes. But then when Hunter Biden doesn't pay taxes and actually gets dinged for it, they're like, that's letting him off easy. Jared and Ivanka took two billion dollars from the Saudis. We still don't know for what they are like. That's fine. But it's it's Hunter. And there is this magical thinking, even as you said, around well, really around Russia. Um, even like normie Republicans are on the same Durham cycle, Durham cycle that they're like, nothing happened with Russia. What is this magical thinking about? You've got, I'm going to give you 30 seconds before we have to go to break. <laughs> yeah, I, well, I would say that there are no more normie Republicans, unfortunately. The ones who we thought Fair. were are not. They have fallen in line because, again, they're afraid of being primaried by MAGAs. So it's all MAGAs. And it's because it's the party tribal mentality. This is what every week They've decided the messaging was going to be because they don't have an agenda. They don't have a, a policy uh, agenda to run on that is consistent. And they have to yeah. deal with Donald Trump. So this is what they're trying to do, thinking the American people are stupid, but they're not. And we call them out every day and we need to keep doing that. And I hope Democrats do and not sit yeah. back and just think that people are going to figure it out. They need yeah, to message, message, won't. message and be consistent with it and push back. Coming from a comms director, Tara Setmeyer. Thank you, Indeed. my friend. Much, <laughs> much appreciated. I still had the frantic search for pass for the passengers and crew on that missing submersible. Now to the story just about everyone is currently obsessed with. The search continues tonight deep, deep in the Atlantic Ocean for the submersible that disappeared four days ago after it set off to explore the wreck of the Titanic. That wreck is 12,500 feet down, more than 10,000 feet lower than the average submarine goes, and thousands of feet deeper than whales can swim. Experts say the vessel has less than 12 hours of oxygen left. Now, I should note that around the world, people get on sea vessels for many reasons, including desperation like the more than 500 migrants from places like Pakistan and Palestine who presumably drowned after their ship capsized off the coast of Greece. But this expedition at $250,000 a pop was purely for fun. Just a reminder of the vast difference between the way the very rich live and the risks they take versus the rest of the world. And we're learning more and more about how far the wealthy owner of the company offering this high-risk adventure reportedly went, as so many of the super rich, seek, super rich seek to do, to avoid regulations. 
The New York Times reports that the company, OceanGate, was warned of catastrophic problems with its Titanic mission, including the fact that the company chose to forego a traditional safety assessment. Joining me now is Kristen, is Kristen Romy, senior editor at National Geographic. And uh, welcome, Kristen. Uh, thank you for being here. And I do not understand how you can have a business um, that is so in a, such a deregulated environment where they were able to forego a certification by a safety agency, given that this is such a risky idea. Well, you know, Joy, there is no DMV for submersibles and submarines. Uh, this is kind of a wild and bully west in a way. But for the most part, the industry hews very closely to standards that are provided either by organizations in the U.S. or Europe. And we do know that these organizations reached out to OceanGate and asked that they could be a part of the certification process and that the OceanGate CEOs talked in rush you know, kind of pushed back and said, regulations are going to restrict innovation. It's sort of an application of that move fast and break things, move fast and break things, you know, tech bro ethos that is being applied to extreme exploration. You know, and, and Elon Musk got all mad when he was associated with it, but the, it uses Starlink. So it is, it does seem like it's sort of a tech bro collabo, um, this tin can that goes so far down that even eels and whales can't go there. This kind of ethic of doing super high adventure projects that mimic what the government might do, but without the safety regulations, seems to me to be incredibly risky, but people are still willing to pay big money for it and risk their lives. It's wild. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, this kind of technology was only available to governments. And nowadays you could build a remote operated vehicle in your garage from a kit on the Internet. So technology has lowered the bar to access on these kind of extreme adventures in so many ways. And it's kind of up to the people who decide to take these rides, whether or not they want to take these risks. Do, are there, uh, you know, sort of concurrent technologies that even exist to go and get the tin can if it can't come up by itself? It's, it's piloted by like a little joystick. Like, is there also technology that can go and get it? Yes, there is. And the big question right now, and this is the exclusive that we broke with National Geographic, is that there are two members of the Explorers Club on board. You know, the Explorers Club doesn't mess around. These are astronauts, polar explorers, underwater explorers. And they've been making the case repeatedly that any sort of recovery techniques that we usually use in the very deep sea, like, for instance, the Navy sending out a ship um, that has technology to recover materials from the extreme deep, um, just like the F-35 that we recovered from similar depths on the South China Sea a couple months ago. Now, the question is, though, is whether this technology can safely recover a carbon fiber hull. We are looking at, you know, usually it's steel submersibles or it's aluminum aircraft. This is a very fragile yeah. hull, and the concern is that if brought up incorrectly, it will, you know, if there are people alive, it will damage and kill people in the process. Well, I mean, then that's being used for people who are extreme adventurists. But, you know, are we using the same efforts to go and get those folks that crashed off the coast of Greece? Those are human beings who were desperate. I hope we're using the same effort. I'm just going to hope that we use the same kind of efforts to rescue folks like that as well. We hope everyone in both situations are safe. Kristen Romy, thank you. We'll be right back. One year after the Supreme Court eliminated the constitutional right to abortion, the women's health crisis in America has never felt so urgent. Last night, I sat down with Vice President Kamala Harris, along with stakeholders in the abortion rights fight, for a really compelling conversation. Here's part of it. 
My best friend in high school, I learned that she was being molested by her stepfather. And I immediately said, well, you have to come live with us. And she did. She came to live with us. And um, that was one of the reasons that I wanted to become a prosecutor, uh, to protect people who have been the subject of such abuse. And the idea that the highest court in our land just did that and rolled back rights that had been recognized was incredibly shocking. A big portion that she would be voting is not voting, and they are making it harder and harder, passing, constantly passing different laws in each state to make it harder for certain people to vote, which are the people who are being affected by this the most. I couldn't leave the state, and if I had, I probably would have died. Um, so I had to just wait until I did become near death. My knee-jerk response in my mind was, if you want to keep medicine out of politics, then you keep politics out Amen. of medicine. And freedom, the freedom and the ability of an individual to make decisions about their own life and literally their own body. And I, I think there's some a piece of this also that underlying it all is, hey, trust women. <laughs> and that is tonight's readout. Go beyond the headlines with the new MSNBC app. Get real-time analysis from live blogs to in-depth essays, video highlights from your favorite shows, and the latest updates on the 2024 election. Visit msnbc.com app to download.